Hey everybody, this is Ginger Lee, L-E-I-G-H from Austin, Texas. You are listening to The Feedback Podcast. Lucky you. What up everybody, this is back with The Feedback Podcast, the only podcast where we talk about the nightlife experience, and this is show number 75. Thank you for tuning in. Now, the guest for this episode is Steven Sternshine, the owner of Empire Control Room over there on Red River. And we talk about his journey going from being a musician out on the East Coast to opening one of the most successful music venues here in Austin. From putting on shows during South by Southwest to booking George Clinton three times at Empire Control Room. That's pretty dope. We also talk about the broken permit system here in Austin and dealing with fire marshals. So this is part one, where we get to know the man himself. Make sure you stay tuned for part two, where we open up the conversation and talk about what's going on in the Red River District with all the new developments going up and venues closing and all of that craziness. All right, let's go. And welcome to the Feedback Podcast, everybody. My name is Back, and to my left, as always, it's a return, actually. It is the return back. of Jamie. No, I'm back. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm back number two. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, in the chat, and on the internet. Uh, as always, we're giving away a $50 bar tab, uh, courtesy of Perigroso Tequila, $50 bar tab at Dirty Bills, Haymaker, Black Sheep, Lodge, Plush, or Empire Control Room. So all you got to do is call in. <laughs> I know what he wants. I know what he wants. Uh, so if, if you're out there, please share the link uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. It's thefeedbackbak.com slash Mixler, M-I-X-L-R. So people can tune in live, listen, and join the conversation. I'll turn the phones on later on in the show. I'd like to welcome my guest. Mr. Steven Stershine, how you doing? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Owner of Empire Control Room. It was quite a quite a journey you you went on. I suppose. I mean, I'm from New Jersey originally. Mm-hmm. That's where I grew up. Spent most of my uh, my young adult days running around Bergen County, Englewood, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I went to college in Philadelphia. So, uh, and that's where I had a lot of formative music experiences. I'm a bass player. Yeah. Oh, you were in a band. That's, oh. I've been in a, a number of bands. I used to play with uh, some folks. Uh, you know who Robert Randolph is? He's a slide guitar player. Uh-uh. So I used to play with um, him and his, like he has this whole extended family of guys. And uh, that's how I learned about, you know, the music that's the closest to my heart, which is R&B, soul. You know, they really come from gospel background, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what I was doing in Philly. Um I met uh, a lot of the folks from the Roots down there. Oh, like uh, just like that? <laughs> I mean, you just met the Roots. I mean, like, he- did you open for them or? <laughs> well, that's actually like you asked me to save nightmare stories for later. Oh, so <laughs> there's a Roots story. They're, well, it's it's a it's a this is, this is you know one story that I could tell when I was you know I think 19, a band I was in with actually two of the other owners of Empire. So the owners of Empire are myself, uh, Mike and Dave Machinist. They're, they're twin brothers, and they uh, 
played instruments. We, we were all in bands together since we were in high school. Oh, so nice. we were in this band back in uh, 2000, 2000 or 2001, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were, you know, playing funk and soul music and hip hop. And we were supposed to have the opportunity. We were, we, we, you know, we were confirmed to perform at an after party for a root show with Lauren Hill and all these other great folks. Um, were you starstruck? Or did you, were you big fans? Or well, you... we never got to play the event, unfortunately. Oh, because uh, we were never we weren't really told what happened. But you know, from what I understand, they found out that the you know they listened to the music and thought it was great. But then they saw a picture and saw that we were a bunch of white kids from New Jersey. And they bailed and they on like, you they, like that? Yeah, they were like, "No, no, 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 we can't do that." Wow. This is when I was, I was, I was That's nineteen bogus. years old. It was, it was, it was a sad day. Very <laughs> much so. Well, you're already winning in my book. You mu- musician, and you're a Philly guy, Jersey to Philly. Jersey to Philly loves it, and then to Brooklyn after after Philadelphia. Tell me you love the Eagles. Say it. Oh, I I couldn't say that. Couldn't say <laughs> that. All right, he needs to leave the studio. <laughs> did you, Did you know? So, when did you know you wanted to do something with music? I think you know it's not something that really. It's I mean I guess I probably around the time when I was a senior in high school is when I started. When I first went into a recording studio with my buddies mm-hmm. and laid down tracks and had this great time, I was like, "Wow, this is a lot of fun." You know, maybe we maybe we should just keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And then when I was uh, in college and I was playing, I started to get more into the business side of things, you know, because it became more serious. Right. And I found that I really enjoyed that. While I was at uh, um, in college, I worked for a radio station called uh, um, XPN. Okay. Well, there was a show called The World Cafe, which actually syndicates here in Austin, I think, uh, on the weekends. Uh, it's like 10 to midnight or something. It's like uh, interview, perform, like you know, and then live performance format. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I started doing that, and I started booking shows at this place called Smoky Joe's, which is uh, you know like a college bar, basically a tiny little spot. And um, looking back, I feel like you know that all the the kind of pieces were there. It took me a few years, you know, when I left once I graduated from college and moved back up to New York before I really put them back together. But that's where it all started, I would say. Um, did, did someone show you or did you just, did you just, you just throw yourself out there and just trying to figure out how to do bookings, how to do, um, you know, you know, plan, planning, uh, shows and all of that events, learning to throw events and, and book and, and produce and all that. That's just, you know, trial by error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There really wasn't anybody out there who explained was it. like, here you go. I think looking back, it would have been great to like. You know, there are a couple of venues that are notable in Philadelphia, like the Kyber or TLA or Electric Factory um, and in New York as well. And it would have been great if I had the experience of, you know, getting to work at a place like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I didn't I didn't know about those things or it wasn't like such a like I said, you know, I kind of like was just doing a couple of different things. I didn't really have the focus that I have now um, and actually like. One of the great things about Empire is that we have so many pe- cool young people who are musicians, just like kind of I was back in college. Right, right. And I get to like try and help them to to learn the pro- you know like how to book shows and like how to do it right. And that's something that I get a lot of you know take a lot of pleasure in is is being able to like you know give a little bit more guidance and mentorship to the folks who work with us. That's really good, and I'm sure they appreciate it starting from the ground up and whatnot. 
especially being a new musician and in this town that's so called the music capital of the world. Right. Well, <laughs> self-proclaimed. Did, did, yeah. yeah, self-proclaimed. Did you uh so when did you stop being did you ever stop being a musician and then doing managing a band full time or So when I when I after I left Philadelphia, I moved to back to to the tri-state area and uh you know, for a little bit of time I was working for a big law firm as a paralegal. I kind of decided I wanted to go into music business. Mm-hmm. And to me, the best way to do that was like to go to law school. I had read this book called Hitmen, um, which is kind of like a history of the music business. And, you know, it kind of goes through the 70s and the 80s and how, you know, the empires, you know, quote unquote of Sony and Warner and all those things started. And it was all a bunch of basically a bunch of lawyers who were running those businesses at that time. And so I thought, well, I better go to law school and you know, figure out how to read and write a record contract. Mm-hmm. Damn. And, Did you uh, finish? Yeah, yeah. I, I graduated. Oh, I nice. went to Brooklyn Law. And Yay. I graduated in 2009, I think it was. And I practiced um, for a little bit in New York. And that was like while I was managing um, bands in New York. I was also, I had a legal practice. Like I was also, you know, mostly for musicians and music companies and some tech companies. I was doing, you know, contract kind of work. And that's kind of what like what paid the bills and got me through the first couple of years right. out outside of school. Man, that's a good foundation. <laughs> yeah, right. What was I doing the whole this whole time? <laughs> you were at Empire Control Room. <laughs> I was I was going out, I guess. But so when did when did you decide to come to Austin then? So I I started coming to Austin as a you know as a manager like for you know I had acts that I'm working with that I was trying to blow up. So it's like well what's the best thing to do is get them down to South by. And, you know, that was like, you know, it is and was a big deal to try and, you know, to try and score a South by Southwest show. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we weren't, I, again, you know, kind of like I didn't really have any super, you know, hardcore connections in the, in the, in the music business. I wasn't working for a record label or for a, an agency or anything like that or a big management company. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like, how do we, how do we break into to South by with these bands that nobody's heard of? And it, the, the, the solution that I guess we came up with was, well, I guess we're just going to have to throw our own show. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of came to that same conclusion. I, and, you know, maybe I think it was really 2010 was the first show that we threw. How, um, how'd it go? Down here. It was it was like a, a crazy success. That's awesome. Really? So you had, you had a team here doing a promotion or you know, how did it, it go? It's funny. It was just me and, and um, me and the twins, you know, Mike and Dave. And then, you know, some people who, you know, also had similar situations. Like there was a, a, a lawyer from L.A., Brandon Dorsky, who had a band called, uh, a little band called... Uh, what, what, uh, hold on a second. Wait, it was uh, with Pumped Up Kicks, Foster the People. Right. Like they weren't, nobody had really heard of them at that point. They hadn't been signed or anything, but he was like looking for the same kind of opportunity for his band. And so him and I and a couple of other managers kind of put together this show. So it was just like, it was at this place called Rusty Spurs. Hmm. Rusty Spurs. I don't know if you remember that spot. Where was that? Where, where was it? What was that? It's it's on Seventh. Actually, it's like down the street. It's like you know where Ironwood is, yeah. and then there's mugshots. 
Yeah. And then that building next to that is where Rusty Spurs used to be. Huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, you know, it was like we we picked a, a day, a Tuesday, Wednesday, like the, the beginning of the fest and got the room for like really cheap because, you know, it was like not a, it was like an off day at that time. Like the, the tech thing and the music thing really hadn't blown up the way that right. it has yeah, at yeah. this point. And, um, you know, so we had, you know, maybe 30 bands from around the country, all of whom like, you know, were pretty much unsigned. There was this band, um, Dev and the Cataracts, and they went on to write like They're this amazing. Hit, you know, okay. So yeah. right, but at the time, like, you know, they were, you know, like a G6 hadn't come out yet or, yeah, or was right. just about to come out. So we put all this stuff together. Chris Webby was another guy who's on that show, I think. Um, and the band I was working with, Shinobi Ninja, um, and it was just, I guess, you know, uh, you know, a combination of like luck and like hard work. We ended up with like, you know, a packed room for two nights straight. That's nice. awesome. And, you know, some folk like, a, like just a few weeks before some folks approached us and they're like, Hey, like we heard you're having the show. We like the lineup. Like we want to, you know, give away these hats and we'll pay you X number of dollars to do that. And it was like more than it cost us to book, book the, the show. Room. And we were like, that's great. Like, let's do that. And then, <laughs> you know, kind of the, the business model of like, you know, lo- securing a venue and, and booking bands and then bringing in brands to kind of cover the costs. And then some, that's what grew out of that right experience in 2010. And, you know, it just got bigger every year until 2013, or I guess it was the end of, it must've been 2012 is when we were, you know, we had moved from Rusty Spurs over to what was then Lipstick 24. Yeah, I remember that. And I met Trey, who owned Sidebar, and then also had this lot that was like this empty auto garage. And uh, a friend of mine from New York, this guy, uh, Jesse Abraham, I think. I think it was Jesse, who was a rapper, and kind of was doing the same thing I was doing. He, like, put together a show to, you know, to, like, that he could perform on and he brought you know the band that i was working with shinobi ninja on there and he put you know homeboy sandman it was just like you know kind of like a new york scene there's this dude crosby the crosby the coolest who's another rapper from new york adriana mac davis and and i think like you know i met trey in the lot while shinobi ninja was on stage and there was this crowd of people and you know the sound guy was kind of messing up, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Hey, sound guy, like you know, change these things." And then I was like, and then I turned to my left, and there's Trey, and I introduced myself, and we started talking and hit it off, and it just seemed like, you know, kind of faded when I got the call a couple months later that Lipstick was going under for the two of us to like get together and, and start a business, and you know, instead of having all this dough that was coming in from South by you know, go back to New York, we decided to reinvest it in the space and make it into what it is today. Awesome. So that's, that's, meant that's to the be. story. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what did you, what was your, um, the concept really behind Empire? I mean, the basic, you know, like the, you know, the kind of like from the hip thing that, you know, Trey and I talked about uh-huh. um, when the opportunity came up and it was like really like a, like it was one of those things where I got the call and it was, it was, you know, the owner of the, of lipstick basically saying like, I'm going out of business and I'm going to rent the place to somebody else. And there, you know, I had a deal and had paid him a deposit towards like the next South by, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he's like, 
I can't pay you back your deposit and I can't promise that the person I rented to is going to give you the space for next year. So I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of like, oh, fuck, like I got to figure this out. So it was a really like kind of considering how big of a decision it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. We kind of, you know, really moved quickly with it. Um, and the thought was really just, well, we know that it works as this three-stage thing during South by Southwest. People love it. People love the vibe. Right. The ability to see three different kinds of shows at the same time. You know, that seems to be something that works. So why don't we just do that, you know, year-round? Why don't we just do it, you know, when it's not South by and sell tickets and sell drinks? And yeah. and that that's like, you know, about as simple as I can put it. That was our plan going in. And then, you know, as I, you know, spent more time down here and, you know, met the people who became the core of the team that's running the place. It evolved into like, you know, fitting into a, a niche that kind of caters very specifically to to local artists. And, and, you know, that goes back to my roots as an artist myself and being in the position of like, you know, wanting to work with a venue that cares a little bit more about the, the shows and wants to be like, you know, kind of guiding you through it rather than just like, kind of like, you know, heart, you know, heart, you know, like kind of like, tough love or whatever which happens it's like that's something that happens because there's so many shows and so much bullshit it's like people just get burnt out well how was (laughs) how was it at first i mean i I remember like during like empire was known for south by shows uh the room was kind of different at the time where uh you walk in the bar was in the far right hand corner it wasn't really set up to be a music space oh it wasn't well i mean like like the way that it was set up the way it was before oh okay yeah 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 the stage was too small yeah. and, and, you know, the acoustics, it didn't really work acoustically with the room. The bar was like this, you know, the bar was like this dungeon in the back corner. It was like, you know, you didn't want to go hang out at that bar. It was like a really weird spot to be. Uh-huh. Um, and, how you did, know. How it, did people react at first? Like, was it like instant, you know, blow up, everybody goes to Empire oh, no, kind of no, thing? No, no, no. Yeah, and like when it first opened, did you kind of have that oh shit feeling? Like, what did I just get into as a business owner? <laughs> and especially if you didn't have like a lot of people automatically leaping on the idea, was it like, what did I just do here? And how did you market it where everybody wanted to start coming in and it blew up? Well, I think, you know, you said that it was known as a South by venue. That was definitely like one of the things that really helped us was being able to like come in like right before the next South by and rebranded as empire. Like, mm-hmm. and I think at first people thought that that was just a South by thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it also like, like opened it up for us to be able to reach people year round. We, we built a huge mailing list and, you know, really at, at first, you know, all of the shows that we threw, you know, did like 30% worse than I thought they were going to do because, you know, nobody knew where it was or nobody knew the name. And it was just something that we had to power through, you know, yeah. like right. it just took some time before we got to the point where now it's like, I'll get into an Uber and I'll say, let's go to Empire. And the dude knows like where to go. It's Perfect. not like I have to tell him. Yeah. So that's like, you know, it's just time and exposure and throwing lots of shows, you know? Absolutely. Did you, so were you concerned with the, the other venues in the area at all? Not, not really, because I think like, you know, we felt like we were going into a space where people are expecting to hear and see live music. And, you know, the city is growing so fast. There's like room for more venues and there's room for, you know, a slightly different take on things. And I think like, you know, we do kind of every sort of music, but I've also made a point of like trying to bring down stuff that 
you know, maybe wasn't getting into a room before because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anybody who was like a champion for that kind of music mm-hmm. in town. So, you know, like urban stuff, dance music. I mean, that not to say that there aren't a lot of great dance spots in town, but like in terms of like producer based, you know, focused on the folks like, you know, Warp and Brain Feeder and Ninja Tune and, um, you know, the folks who are, you know, kind of a little bit more on the hipster side of dance music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There really wasn't a, a room that was doing those kind of things. So, you know, and that's, those are the kind of relationships that I've built at South by, you know, with labels and whatnot. So, you know, it was like a natural fit to start bringing that stuff in. So how did you, how did you really get into uh, the scene here as far as, uh, aside from the people you met at South by, you know, getting to know the DJs who play here, getting to know, you know, the local artists, who you like going around to the other venues to check out what, what they were doing, who's performing where and so on, or how or did, did that a lot of people come to you? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it was a combination of both. And I, I will say, though, that, like, the distinguished honor of, like, the first person to ever come to me and say, like, I want to throw a show mm-hmm. uh, goes to Orion. From Peligrosa. Peligrosa, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, literally maybe like a few days after we had like, you know, made it like, I guess it wasn't a few days. It was maybe like a month or two after we had, you know, started with, uh, um, you know, it, after after the South, the first South by where it was Empire. So like 2013, I guess. Yeah. Um, he uh, he approached us and was like, yo. I used to throw the show on the patio and it was Creekside. Yeah, Yeah, when it was Creekside. And, you know, we've been, it's been kind of like homeless or like we've been trying it at different places, but we'd really like to come back and do it, you know, at our old home, which it was their home for, I think, five years or something like Mm -hmm. that. And so, you know, I got like a great vibe from Odeon and we just were like, what do, you know, let's make it happen. And, And that was like, that was my first, he was the first person that I really, met and like he introduced me to a lot of people a lot of like the good people in town djs and whatnot and yeah. i think like from going around red river just like every night like you know going over to plush and going to uh holy mountain i think at the time yeah it was holy mountain already at the yeah time. it was it wasn't beauty bar beauty bar was gone at the time right so i mean that and i just you know i just met people from you know from you know having that first great intro from Orion and then also from rolling around and like meeting people in town. See, see, that's the thing about that area is that as much as, yeah, y'all music venues, whether it's Mohawk, it's uh, Beerland, it's Holy Mountain, Red 7 Plush, uh, it seems like everybody trying to work together. I mean, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, because that's the feeling I'm, I get. Like, you be hanging, I met you at Holy Mountain. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, absolutely, I think, like the, I think so, I feel like Cody might have said this from the Mohawk. He was like, you know, it's competitive, but it's friendly competitive. Right. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. like there's a, it's there's supportive. Yeah, we ha- we share a lot of the same you know trials and tribulations. There's not very many people who do the kind of stuff that we do, so right, we tend to stick together. And yeah, I mean, I think I think there's definitely a camaraderie there. That's really nice. You know, um, John from Elysium. You know, one of the first people. You know, Trey also, Trey has been on Red River, like, forever. He's, like, the OG, Trey Spall <laughs> from Sidebar. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, like, having him on my team, like, out the gate also, like, he introduced me to all the, the the folks on the block, and it was, like, a very, like, we're so happy you're here, you're helping to bring more stuff our way, and, and you know, what can we do to help, and, like, here are the things to look out for. Very, 
That's you know, really good. Very f- like f- like you know family style. Did you have any bumps in the road prior to opening? I mean, I think the biggest bump, and you know, it's still to a certain extent a bump is has been, you know, we obviously did a pretty major renovation, especially in the garage, but yeah. also the control room. And, you know, we budgeted six months to make that happen, and it took a year and a half. Mm. Really? To turn the room around like it is today? Yeah, and the, the construction didn't take very long. It took about three months. But the permitting process oh, took yeah. about nine nine months, I think, total, from <laughs> when we decided we wanted to do it to when we were finally like in a position to have plans that were approved. And that's something that like, you know, when I tell other, you know, people about the experience, they're like, man, only in Austin. And and that's really (laughs) the truth. It's like, it's not something that, um, happens very really anywhere else. There's just like, you know, the delays and like the kind of the code changes and it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you think the main issue slash holdup would be with that? I just the back. They have so much stuff coming in that the, that it takes them forever to get to your thing. Yeah. And then a lot of times, what they they'll tell you is like, you know, it's like, oh, you have to change these things, and then you have to resubmit, and it still takes a long time once you resubmit because that you're on, you're basically like in line for every one of these steps, and it's hard to get a meeting with the right people. I think is that some, a bureaucracy involved, pretty much? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a lot of red tape. I think one of the things that happened to us, um, the guy who was like the lead from the building department on our project retired like mm-hmm. before our permit issued. <laughs> so it took like, it took six weeks for us to get somebody, you know, we were like at the end of the process and it took over a month to get somebody else to like, come in and like get familiar with the whole situation. Wow. And then, you know, and he had a whole different take on a bunch of different things. And I don't, you know, I don't necessarily blame the people themselves because I think like, you know, I I never got the sense that anybody was like, you know, being mean just for the sake of being mean. Uh-huh. I feel like they were just overwhelmed and trying to make sure that the things that were important to them were taken care of. And, and I get that, but... The process just sounds really, really shitty tedious, and yeah. slow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was... It was really, and it and it also was like scary because obviously, like we had only a certain amount of runway to get, you know, to like, like where we could wait before we had to like, you know, before we had to be open in order to like, you know, make the you know make the financials work, you know, because for however long I'm, you know, we, we, the garage is sitting there empty. Yeah. You know, like that costs us money every every month. Man, so the, so uh, same thing here as far as. Opening, um, opening a venue and running it is just trial and error. Well, I had actually gotten the experience before I came down here of consulting with, um, you know, a venue that was opening in Brooklyn. So I kind of went through the process with, you know, for the first time with these other dudes. Right. And you know, I wasn't the main person on that project. I was like, they had hired me actually as like the as the as the legal representative to draft contracts and agreements and stuff. And kind of by going through that, I saw like all of the challenges that they were facing. And I was like, you know, I think we could probably do this ourselves if we had to. Mm-hmm. I found myself in the position of trying to convince the 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 owner of that business, like, oh, this is the way to do it, as opposed to the way that he wanted to do it. And I just, at, at, at a certain point, like, I literally, I got that phone call when I was super frustrated with the, with the situation I was in, in terms of, you know, trying to convince this gentleman that he should, you know, like how to, how to structure, a, like how to make an offer for a show. 
and he like wasn't listening to me and I was, and and I literally got the call like hey do you want to take over a venue and I was like yes yes I do <laughs> today yeah so uh, I mean you've had so many shows there I mean one you had the the Weird City Festival last year uh, you had the George Clinton twice I think P Funk three P-Funk. times three times sorry well P Funk is a really special thing for me because. One of the first shows that I ever was a part of producing in college was a P-Funk show when I was, uh, you know, I think I must, it was freshman year. I was, you know, they have like a spring fling, like a big show that they put yeah. on every, um, every spring. And so I was a part of the group that, you know, put that on. And obviously I wasn't making decisions or whatever, but I did get to hang out in George Clinton's trailer and drink from his bottle of Cavassier. <laughs> and that was a very special experience for me. Formative experience. And as a bass player, obviously, like, Absolutely. I identify really closely with Bootsy and all the stuff that, that they accomplished. So, hands down, every time P-Funk comes to town, that's my favorite show. And you're, at this point, uh, you have a relationship with him, so you're the one who took care of all of that? Yeah, I have a relationship with, with you know, Uncle George is what we call him. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, and nice. he's a, he's an old dude, so like, you know, it's not like I wouldn't say we're best pals, but like, you know, one of the great things about music is is the relationships that you can build. You know, I had, you know, it's like when I saw him for the first time um, at, you know, in my club, as opposed to like, you know, back, you know, when I was a 18 year old kid in, in college and I was like. You probably don't remember this, but let me explain to you how like meeting you changed my life. And he was like, he like listened and was like, he was like very appreciative of that. And I think you know, ever since then, you know, we're the first place they call when they want to do a show. And that's Austin. a great story. Do they ever have any special requests when they come in and play? Like <laughs> I the can't green really skittles dis- I can, only? I can't really discuss the special requests, <laughs> but but there are there certainly are some, and and I do make every effort to accommodate Mr. Clinton. Dr. Clinton. Yeah. He gets very he's, he's Dr. Clinton. Oh. Do you, uh, do you have a story, uh, like a disaster story, where you had to save the day, I guess, from well, one of the shows? Okay, doesn't have to disaster be, story. doesn't have to be Uncle George. So, well, George uh, Clinton. I cannot call him Uncle George. <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would say, so just to get, remember we were talking about permitting and all that stuff. So there's this, the the I was trying to think of like what would be like, literally the worst moment of like the whole the whole experience uh-huh. and i think the worst moment of the whole empire experience was the um the first year that we had south by um as empire uh in the garage excuse me uh the um the fire you know we had expected to be able to we had expected to get a certain capacity for the space Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess it's a dry story, but it, it, it gets more exciting as we get into it. All right. <laughs> but you know, anyway, so so we, we were, you know, we looked at the space and we're like, well, you know, we have this many square feet. We should be able to get this much capacity. And, um, you know, maybe like the day, the first day of music week, the one of the fire marshals came down again. I'm not going to like name names, but the fire department <laughs> guys came down. And they told us that, you know, because they made an argument, you know, long story short, I won't get into the details of the argument, but they basically said you can't have more than 99 people inside the garage, you know, in the interior area, Yeah. you know, that's covered Yeah. because it doesn't have a sprinkler system. So they were like, you can only have 99 people in there. And they were like, well, it's a separate area because you have these three garages. And I was like, 
what are you talking about? We open the doors and it's basically all one big space. Yeah. Right. Uh, and in the past that had always been okay, but then all of a sudden it wasn't okay. And so we had all these huge shows coming through. Um, I think the first one where it was a problem, like we had, uh, you know, Fool's Gold and Mad Decent, uh, you know, <laughs> wow. and, um, Skrillex, you know, Ausla and all these shows. And, and the fire department is like, you can't have people inside the garage you know, because of this, you know, this issue. And so they're like, and you have to like put guards on each of those doors and rope them off and like make sure that there's never more than a hundred people in there. Wow. And what ended up happening was people were like pissing in the corner of the garage because they didn't want to leave because if they left, they weren't coming back in right? because the capacity was so, you know, effed up. And I had to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg the fire. I was like, listen, guys, like I understand you're trying to do your jobs here. Like, but what you're doing is causing more so much stress on my staff and it's causing so much, you know, like dissatisfaction for the, for the, for the people who are coming to see these shows. And honestly, like, you know, there's gotta be some sort of middle ground and, and, you know, to the fire department's credit, they came back out, they looked at it again and they were like, okay, Here's what we can do. And we worked out a compromise. And like the second half of music week was was not as much of a nightmare as the first half. What did you do different? They just gave us a bigger capacity inside. They like, you know, how came up more? with a, let's, let's say 200. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm this like, is how this is how and, and what, you know, was like they had to come up with a reason, like a basis for it. So yeah. like that's what, you know, but they, you know, they brought in like a senior guy and he came in and he looked, you know, he looked around and he was like, OK, here's how we can do it. And that's one of the biggest problems, like the fire department, the special events team is so understaffed for South by like they can't, you know, they have guys who are coming in to do loads for venues that have never done it before. Right. You know, only during, it's not really an issue, you know, in September, but during March, it's a big issue because these guys and they, and they, you know, they don't know all the, all, they don't know the code as well as the guys who do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just got... And this happened, you know, we're not the only people that this happened to. There's a lot of stories like that. And, but it was really like the scariest moment for me because I had all these big, you know, clients and partners who, you know, we had made promises to and who, and we had all these people who were coming to see the show and we were, Did you know, in a position where like, cause you know, you don't come to a place that I can't, that ex- explanation that I just g- gave you, like nobody can take the time to listen to that when they're out partying or, or right, going to a show. Did they threaten to shut down the whole thing pretty much? That was, yeah. I mean, it was like either do this or we're going to shut you down, you know? Dang. So it was, shut it was a really tough situation. Fine, I'm sure. We were lucky that we didn't get shut down. I mean, across the street that same year, I think uh, red seven did get shut down because a young fire, uh, fire marshal misinterpreted the code or at least, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know all this, the the details of that situation, but like that was what was going on. That's so because they misinterpret the code, and if obviously that's wrong, and then the club gets shut down. Like, what can you guys, as business owners, as club owners, do to kind of rebuttal that situation? Yeah, can you, you mean like you mean like you where's the accountability? Business? Yeah, yeah. Like there is no accountability, unfortunately. There's no, I mean the only thing I can do is talk about it. I mean I you know. It's scary for me to even say these things. I know there's not like, you know, this isn't going out to like millions of people, but who knows? I was gonna say you don't know that. <laughs> this is going, this is going on the internet, man. I know. Well, it's no, it's going on the internet. For, but you know forever. what? 
you know, but it is, it's an issue that we should be talking about. And I think, it, but it's scary for me as a club owner to bring it up because. But it's create, it's bringing awareness. It's not dogging anybody out. It's a true situation no, I mean, and it happens. Yeah. So like, like you said, right. it's something that all clubs and all venues go through anyway. I yeah. Mean, and we not, do talk about this stuff behind right. closed doors. We don't necessarily, you know, bring it out. But I think, you know, I think it's important for us to do that in order to like solve the issue. Because yeah. oh, again, yeah, the issue right. is not that it's not that there are, that any of these people have any ill will towards the clubs or the places no, that they're just, coming to. Like it's you just, said, like they're doing their job. But again, like if I if I'm at my job and then I misread something and then I come at somebody the wrong way and I shut down my sales team or something like that. But then in the long run, I'm like, oh, wait, that's my bad. But I, you end up losing money because of me. Right. right. At what point would I come back and either... I don't know, repay or I, there's got to be something that they can do. There's no appeal process. Or yeah. Nothing. I mean, like if you get fined right away because some, uh, some rookie, uh, thinks he's doing yeah, his job. Thinks he knows what he's talking about, but he doesn't. So he's, he, you know, puts the bill out and say, okay, well you're fine this, but you can't go back. I mean, what, of course you would, you would have lost the money. Well, there's, they there's shut you down. There's you two, can go back in appeal at the, at the city, right? There's two answers to that. Yes, there is an appeal process, but it is costly, lengthy, and there's no guarantee that, you know, what, you know, one of the things as a, you know, as an erstwhile lawyer that I've learned about the legal process is that, you know, even in a situation where it seems like things are very straightforward and, and open and closed, mm-hmm. when it gets into a courtroom, it's kind of like anything can happen, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. and, and the cost of, of getting into that is choose your battle situation. Yeah. And, but. and I think also like, again, like it's not a situation where like, you know, and so that's the one answer is that, you know, like there's no guarantee that that process is going to be, you know, I mean, it's, it's lengthy and it, there should be something that's a little bit more direct and straightforward, mm-hmm. but really the answer isn't to like fight about it. The answer is to solve the problem. And the way to solve the problem is, you know, to, restructure and you know create funding to you know for the the special events department to have the manpower it needs and the expertise that it needs to carry out you know what is like probably more complicated than any other festival event that you can imagine because mm-hmm. most festival events happen in one spot with like five stages and it's all controlled right. and contained yeah. Yeah. this is like it's all over the place you know the city of austin becomes a festival ground that's like there's not a lot of events that are like that in in the world. So I thought this would be a good spot to end for part one. Uh, make sure you stay tuned for part two, where we talk about the Red River Cultural District, what's going on over there with all the developments and the projects and what impact they have on the music scene, on the area, and on Austin as a whole, as the live music capital of the world, and how local businesses and organizations are mobilizing to support the music scene, and how you can help too. So that's definitely a follow-up show you do not want to miss. It's a topic that's been all over the news. So to make sure you don't miss it, just subscribe to the Feedback Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's that easy. All right? Well, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Ciao, ciao.